As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, May 18th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris on this episode. We will try and perform a diagnostics test, we'll call it. On a resuscitation. A resuscitation of <laughs> sorts. A, a deep dive on my NL Labor Squad, which could be the worst team I've ever built by where it sits in the standings right now. I, I don't think mm. I've ever been in last place in labor in mid-May before, so... And when you're sitting with 39.5 standings points, it's time to make some changes. But if you are bottom half, bottom third of a league, what kinds of changes should you be making? What types of players should you be thinking about trading for, picking up, whatever it might be? It's not really about me. It's like this problem exists. What do you do in this situation, especially now that we're getting closer to the, the end of the second month of the season? And I realize April was cut short, but you got to do something. So we'll... We'll work on that. Uh, I've got a few other questions from the mailbag we're going to get to on this episode as well. So plenty of uh, fun topics here. Glad to be back after a week at home. Nice to Yay, see family. You're back. Is it uh, what's it like when I'm gone from your perspective? I can listen to the shows when I'm not on them, of course. But what is it really like when I'm not here? Uh, I struggle with transitions. I talk too long. I don't know how to um, move things towards the transitions that I want. I forget what to do at the beginning and the end of the show. Um, it's like uh, being on stage and not knowing what to do with your hands, you mm. know? Like, I just feel like I'm a fish out of water. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think that um, you do an excellent job of what you do. And uh, uh, we we can't do it without you. So, Well, thank you. I thank appreciate you. that. Glad you're back. Glad to be back. Glad <laughs> glad to be doing the usual things that I'm doing during the day. Uh, I get to spend time. I've got a couple of nieces. They're very young. I've only seen them a handful of times because of COVID and, and moving away. So I'm uh, getting to be around them for a few days and and not being a stranger by the end of the trip, which understandably, they're like, who is this big, stupid looking guy? That's where it was <laughs> the first day I was there. By the time I left, oh, it's Uncle Derek. It's like, yes, like that's good. It's good to have that, that family mm-hmm. relationship that has been uh, lacking for, for many of us. So if you're the kind of person who could see family soon and needs to just kind of get that extra nudge, I encourage you to do it. I found it to be a great uh, great use of some time off. Uh, but let's get into what to do with a bad team, an actual bad team. So my labor team, again, this is just an example. It doesn't have to be a monoleague team to follow the types of things we're going to suggest. 12-team NL only. I'm winning saves. And I am not any higher than fifth from the bottom in any other category. I am dead last in home runs and batting average. I am third from the bottom in stolen bases, third from the bottom in RBI. Uh, I'm bottom four in both ERA and whip. And I am near the bottom in strikeouts. I have nothing. Now, the first thing I would say is if you have a team like mine and you say, oh, kind of bad in all these areas, are you lagging on playing time? Are you just not playing guys enough? Are you missing lineup changeovers? 
if you have the at-bat column, if you have the innings pitch column, you can look at that and say, how am I doing compared to the rest of the league? Not surprisingly, I am lower half in at-bats, but I'm not bottom of the league. So I'm, I'm not totally buried in that regard. So that might be an indication that you have a few players that have underperformed just in terms of their slash lines, you know, skills maybe being a little off, maybe some bad luck mixed into the roster. Innings pitched-wise, I'm a bit lighter. I'm third from the bottom. And I'm a little scared there because finding pitching in a mono league is really difficult. It's literally almost impossible to find an actual starting pitcher available most weeks. So I, I think that's where the the uniqueness of this format comes into play, where in a mixed league, you could say my ratios aren't very good and I don't have volume. But in a mixed league, I can take more chances on two start pitchers. I can be more aggressive and play the volume game. And even if I don't fix my ratios, I will be good in K's. I'll be good in wins. And, you know, maybe because I've got saves already, I'll be okay in saves. I'm good in three pitching categories by the end of the season. And my hitting turns out okay. My team's good enough to compete, possibly finish in the money, maybe win the league in situations like that. Uh, so I think this comes down to more of a, a trade problem for me specifically. Thank God, honestly, that these uh, these industry leagues allow for trades. Right. Because I think that when you're in NFBC, you're just like, okay, I, all I can do is work the wire. The only question is, should I cut this guy that I've been waiting on or should I not? <laughs> yep. And this is the league I have Herman Marquez, among others. Can't take guys out. That's mm. part of the problem. Charlie Morton's on that team. He's part of the problem with the ratios as well. Uh, Alex Wood's been a little bit of an underperformer for me. You know, it's it's a little bit of everything in that regard. On the hitting side, it would surprise no one to learn that Trent Grisham is on this team. Carson Kelly's on this team. Luke Voigt is on this team. Uh, mm. I traded for Francisco Lindor a couple of weeks ago. I took that excess and saves, traded Josh Hader straight up for Francisco Lindor. Lindor hasn't done much since I traded for him. It's only been a couple of weeks, probably not the end of the world. See, that, that's exactly what I would have told you to do. But so do you have someone closing games for you now after Hater's gone? I still have Taylor Rogers. Oh, that's nice. And theoretically, Anthony Bender could be a closer, but that ship might be sailing. So I've already moved my saves excess for a good all-round player. And I think that's going to work mm. out just fine. Jesse Winker, underperformer, uh, even like, J.D. Davis, who I think has been one of the most unlucky players in the league so far, of course he's on that team. So I can tell myself a story that maybe I'm underperforming and hitting by two to three overall hitting positions where maybe maybe my team's more like a bottom third of the league team than the worst possible team in the league. It still needs to be fixed. So if you can make trades, and most people can, what are you buying into? What skills are you looking for? What flaws are you willing to accept right now? What makes sense from a logical perspective when you're trying to take a chance on players that could actually help you dig out of a bad six, seven week start to the season? Well, that's a really difficult question because uh, for you in particular, because there's so many of those guys that are on your team. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, I did do a piece, uh, recently about good process, uh, and bad results, um, on, on, on the athletic. And that's the kind of thing I would look for. I, what I looked for, and this is something you've heard on this before is, um, I'd look for players that are barreling the ball, not chasing and making contact because those are the three things that are meaningful early. And those, I feel like if you're doing those and not getting results, I think that, you know, those are the kinds of players that you want to, you want to go uh, and get. So I'm calling that up furiously here. Um, I didn't know exactly what the question would be that you were going to get to. 12 NBA MLB hitters doing the right things and getting the wrong results. So let's see. Let me sort for NL players. Max Muncy could mm -hmm. be an interesting guy for you to get. Um, because he's not reaching, he's still barreling and he's making contact and like they're playing him at third base. Like, I don't think the elbow is that much of a problem anymore. Maybe a little bit, but, um, you could, I think the, the window for Christian Walker is closing. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about him a lot on this podcast. We've been giving him some love. Um, but, uh, maybe you could go smaller. Garrett Cooper is on this list. I think he's a bit of a risk on a team that is always looking to improve offensively that he, they could, he could just lose his game, his, his, his thing, but maybe you could do like a bender for Cooper deal. You never know. 
that's small enough, right? That's you're not you're not reaching you're not saying vendor for months here or something, you know what I mean? Like you're you're like, hey, let's just do a little side deal here. You know, you could like get take a shot of these saves. Maybe if Bender gets one more like clean save or something, you could like capitalize on that. Um I think you I think it'd be hard for you with your resources right now to get Christian Yelich, who's on this list, um, or uh or Max Muncie. So I've already got Yelich. <laughs> You did? Well, you re- you drafted him. I got Yelich on this team. Yeah, you drafted him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know, I think the I think the hardest thing to do is to sell low. Yes, that is a very difficult skill to develop. I feel like I've played what feels like almost twenty years now, and selling low, you know, you have to do it sometimes, but actually bringing yourself to do it, accepting fifty cents on the dollar for a player. You know, that's a thing you need to do sometimes. In this case, did I name a player out of Tyrone Taylor, Mm, Trent Grisham, Jesse Winker? Well, Jesse Winker and Trent Grisham, actually. Those are the two that I am looking at. And I have have, uh, Grisham in a 12-team regular dynasty where, you know, just a 12-team, you know, mixed league um you know it's an ops dynasty so like the ability the ability to get on base is somewhat useful especially if you're going to stealing bases but he hasn't even attempted to steal and given how sticky those are perhaps you could sell him as a 10 steal guy when he may only hit 10 more homers and steal five bases so did you say you were doing well in steals uh no I'm I'm not really doing well at anything but saves I think steals <laughs> I guess it comes back to would I punt steals would I be willing to do that that's the other that's the other thing you you gotta you gotta start thinking about I'm gonna say no far behind no on the stolen base punt because I have 15 and I'd be fourth most in the category if I had five more so there's such a cluster there that keeping at it holding because of the possibility of steals from Grisham is probably worth it in this case. So that might be looking at Winker, you know, because uh, the the thing about Winker is the the process stats when it comes to uh, strikeouts and walks look fine. Uh, he's reaching you know less than last year and or chasing less than last year and around his his league average rate. He's making contact around his uh, his career average rate. Uh, his walk and strikeout rates look fairly sustainable. And so, you know, you'd expect his batting average to come up. Now, the problem is that Safeco is a batting average killing park. And then you look over at the barrel rate, which is uh, poor and goes back to all the way to 2019 levels when he hit 16 homers. Uh, he, in fact, his stat cast stats look very similar to, 20, to 2019. And that was the rabbit ball. So you take the 2019 barrel rates that produced a 16 homer season Yes, albeit in, you know, sort of 400 plate appearances, but in Cincinnati with the rabbit ball. And so I think you could be looking at a 16 homer season for Winker in all. And if he's going to, you know, hit 250 or 260 for the season, you know, going forward, that might be, or no, you know, if he's only going to hit 250 or 260 going forward, you know, getting 250 and 12 homers, you know, is not amazing. But maybe the other person on the other end of the trade is uh, looking at uh, a different projection system and likes him better because of that, or just looking at their, you know, their last couple Winker's last couple of years and likes him better than that, or maybe you can trade Winker for a starting pitching starting pitcher, and the other person says, "I just need an outfield bat, and I'm willing to give up Max's starting pitching." Mm. Yeah, well, I think the obvious target helps to play in a league where someone has created a projection system. Derek Cardi's in the league. Perhaps he would be and more optimistic about Winker. One, yeah, the, it's the one, the one that's still kind of optimistic about him. Uh, then, and but I think this is the 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 most underrated part of what you're what you have to do right now. It almost doesn't matter what you want to do about your team as much as it matters what the other players want to do with their teams. And so you can say all day, like, oh, I'd like to trade Wink or whatever. Like, for example, in labor, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I'm 20 points out in front of James Anderson. Um, I've now I'm getting Kyle Lewis uh, uh, and Josh Naylor back uh, in, the, in the short term. And I will have, uh, you know, basically two extra players, which is 
you know, not unheard of, but it's rare when you're in uh, two extra everyday players is rare in one of these mono leagues. The unfortunate problem is they're outfielders, you know, and um, and I wanted to upgrade Nick Solak, my middle infielder. Well, I looked around the league. There were like two teams that could maybe give up a middle infielder. We're talking about 12 team, you know, AL only. It's like, it's not like there's tons of middle infielders everywhere, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I struck up talks with those two teams and they weren't that interested in Solok plus a bat. So I've got to change tax. I've got to figure out where somebody has a surplus that that I can take advantage of. And that's the main thing. I almost think you could do that first is look through your league and look for somebody who's way out in front on something. Anything almost. Like if you need help everywhere, anything. And then try to take advantage of that because that person is looking at their thing and saying, man, I'm so far out in wins and you can only win the category by so much. You know, I should trade one of my starting pitchers. I'm way behind in steals or whatever it is. Then maybe all of a sudden you'd like, even though you'd like to stay competitive in steals, Maybe someone gives you a really good starting pitcher for Trent Grisham. You're like, ah, you know, I'll just try to get some steals on the waiver wire, you know? This is amazing. There's, uh, I think it's Mike Gianella's team. The baseball prospectus squad in this league has an ERA still under three right now. Nice. It's at 267. So you're looking for uh, pitching, go to the team that's winning ERA by almost 0.8 runs. I mean, that's a huge edge right now. Jeez. Yeah, that's a, a massive difference. That's a team that could probably afford to give you some pitching in exchange for you know, a bat. Uh, and and it's, that's how, because you're not good at anything except for saves, you can trade whatever the other side needs and get something back that gives you some action. Like you're not you wed to any. That's the one thing you have in your pocket. You're not wed to almost any player or anything because, hey, <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> right. Even if the goal is not to be able to win this league this year, it's get as Definitely far to get out, out of, of the bottom, bottom as possible. <laughs> Just get at least to the middle of the pack. And, and yeah, sure, it's a down year, but it's not the worst year I've ever had. I so. like those leagues that have... Um, you know, a money system where the the bottom has to pay more. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> they actually, you know, those end up getting very, uh, you know, tight, you know, all the way through the season, I think, because people are like, I don't want to be on the bottom and spend, you know, 60 on this league. <laughs> and if I can get to the middle and, and be zero, you know, I'm going to do that. It's like a 160 bucks. You know? mm-hmm. um, so, you know, I, I would recommend that for leagues that are looking to keep people interested all season long the graded scheme where like winners win more and losers lose more uh, definitely keeps people interested. And the other thing that I would think about, I almost never like taking on multiple players for, you know, two for ones. I, I, you know, in, in the labor case where I'm out in front, I'm desperately trying to do two for ones, you know, but I, you know, I do think that when you are at the bottom Two for ones become more useful because there's got to be somebody on your roster you're looking at which is like, that's a zero. I was trying to figure out who those players were, and I'm such a narcissist that I look at my team. I'm like, no, I'm right. <laughs> JD Davis is good, man. Like, I, I don't need to punt on JD Davis. Tyrone Taylor had a couple knocks today. Do you have any reservable players in your uh, in your starting lineup? No, I don't think I have any reservable players in my lineup. Everybody was an auction mm. player, so they are stuck in there. That's okay. the thing that people really value a lot in that league. That's very unique to labor and, and those old rules, but uh, it's one of the few things people get excited about. Like you can you can offer two players that have to be in a lineup that are six to eight dollar players and try to get a reservable player back sometimes and get a no. Because the reservable player offers that much more flexibility. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. I did manage to pull a reservable Ross Stripling and a reservable Cole Irvin, which are uh, helping me out a lot in terms of uh, spot starts and um, pairing them with Michael King to to great effect. But. Um, yeah, that's a pretty unique to our league. So let's not get too far into that. But just generally, um, I think that two for ones become more palatable when you're down at the bottom. And this is the reason why, uh, because it gives you more shots. It gives you more lottery tickets. What you need are lottery tickets. You're in the bottom. You need more lottery tickets. 
You know, even if you get two buy lows for your one buy low, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> even if they're crappier or whatever, that's that's two guys that could be performing better, you know, going forward. It's two guys that could end up playing more than expected. Two guys that could yeah exceed projection as opposed to the one. Certainly, there are enough spots that I can I can upgrade. I mean, I think the the obvious like opposite side of this is what about pitching profiles? You outlined a very good rubric for what makes sense for hitting, and I think talking a lot about the pitching plus model on the show, it's already baked into my roster. Like I've definitely taken a, a nice mix of of pitching plus guys along the way. I've got Charlie Morton. Plenty of our listeners have Charlie Morton. You've got Charlie Morton. We've talked about him on this show. I think he's still more of a, a hold for me. Maybe it's not an active buy situation, but is there any reason to think in my situation that I should actually be selling low? Right? Is, is this, are the lines in the right spot where Charlie Morton for you know, two, I don't know, $7 caliber players back on draft day is that actually the type of trade I should be making? So then I'm not starting Corbin Martin as my ninth pitcher. Like maybe that's something I have to consider as a unique approach to dig out of the hole. Yeah, I, and I would consider it just because his his stuff plus is down from last year. So I think his ceiling is lower than it was in the past. I I think better days are coming, but at the same time, I think his ceiling is lower. Um, another way I think that are, that's good to look for pitchers. I'm gonna raise this minimum IP because there's too many relievers in here. Okay, minimum 30 IP, I'm doing uh, strikeout minus walks, and then I'm, I'm glancing over at the homer totals. So uh, people who are really good in strikeouts minus walks but also have a high home run total right now uh, include Aaron Nola. That's kind of a thing he does, though. Uh, Steven Matz, uh, surprising me there. What I don't look like about his profile is that Steven Matz is – has a lower walk rate and that's making his strikeout rate look better, but uh, still a 27% strikeout rate looks a lot better than uh, his K than, than, uh, than, uh, than I expected. So I don't love Steven Matz, but Steven Matz with a, uh, with those strikeout and walk rates and that home run rate, I think becomes a buy low. Um, Not necessarily like a 12 team buy low, but in other leagues, I think, uh, I think he's a good one. Um, Nathan Eovaldi right now, uh, has great stuff. Plus great pitching plus great K minus BB. Uh, he's on the first 30 in K minus BB. He has absolutely the highest home run rate in the, in, 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 uh, of anyone in the top 30 in strikeouts minus walks. Uh, and he still has a 432 ERA, you know? So you, some people might be looking at that FIP and be like, Oh my God, six FIP. Well, FIP is not predictive. It's not that useful. It's really not that useful. Uh, and XFIP is only a little bit better, but the XFIP is 333. So that's a little, that's actually, and then Sierra is a decent uh, one stat, uh, you know, kind of early season thing. And his Sierra is fine. So Nathan Eovaldi, I think, is someone that, that sticks out as a good buy low. And then uh, Tyler, Tyler Megill has actually come, kind of come around uh, to being a buy low. Um, I know that the recent starts haven't been amazing, uh, but uh, you know I think he can do better than a 4-4 ERA. So there's some names that were off the first page of strikeouts minus walks, which is you know still a very is a very um, powerful tool. What I uh, like about pitching and stuff plus is that basically stuff plus is uh, puts you on the way to an expected strikeout rate. And location plus puts you on the way to an expected walk rate, and because they are directly measurable from you know physical properties and and actual locations at the plate, they are process stats. So like when you look at a batter and you say, oh, I'm looking at his chase rate and I'm looking at his swinging strike rate and I'm and I'm looking at his strikeout walk rate and kind of seeing where where those things don't line up. That's what you're doing with pitching a lot with with pitching plus a lot of times is saying, oh, this guy's strikeout rate could be better. Uh, his stuff plus is really good, um, and his walk rate is high, but his location uh, rates are good. So that's that's what I'm trying to set up, and then I know for a fact that um, stuff plus and location plus stabilize faster; they become meaningful faster uh, than strikeouts and walks and strikeouts minus walks. So, um, you know, the, we are still heading towards a better solution for subscribers, uh, but that's, that's kind of how I use strikeouts minus walks and pitching and stuff plus right now. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. There's another thing that crossed my mind. This kind of bridges the gap to some of the mailbag questions. It's could there be a certain type of pitcher that just is not valued correctly, even within the fantasy game? And one question in particular doesn't help me in this league, but could help me in others. Tyler Wells. Uh, what does the pitching plus model see in Tyler Wells? This question came in from John. John was seeing that he had a 111.8 pitching plus, which was the second highest when filtering to more than 400 pitches. Stuff plus and location plus numbers are both above 108, and yet his K minus BB percentage at the time of the email, 12.8%. Sierra sitting just over four at 4.22. Is there... And, and now that Wells is being used more like a, a regular starter, like you see a, a four-inning outing, a six-inning outing, and a five-inning outing in his last three starts, it's less of a question about, oh, maybe he's falling through the cracks. And now it's more of a, is there another level coming with Tyler Wells where he looks almost like a more traditional buy-low, whereas three or four weeks ago, he might have been more of a model-driven buy-low because of his unique role and what was happening under the hood. No, there's a there are definitely these new style of pitchers, these 60 to 80 pitch pitchers that are very difficult to consider when it comes to fantasy value versus uh, versus real life value. Because teams, I think, have looked at the fact that uh, 100 pitches used to be the norm, um, you know, for for a thing. Now, uh, last year, we didn't have a single pitcher that averaged 100 pitches for the season. This year, we don't have any. Um, there's about two or three that have, that have averaged 100 over the last like three weeks. There are the guys that you absolutely think they are in terms of like Corbin Burns, um, you know, Brandon Woodruff types. I don't know if Woodruff is on it, but you know, established mid-career uh, uh, veteran type guys that aren't you know nearing the end of their career either. So peak guys, they average 100, right? So that means that 90 is acceptable. Well, what if 90 is acceptable? That means 80 is acceptable, especially if there are 80 really good pitches uh, and you have that extra, you have 13 pitchers in your on your roster, you have that extra guy who can go to that extra inning to to kind of pair with Wells and, 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 and Drew Rasmussen um, and kind of get them there. Uh, Keegan Aiken uh, is another guy uh, that's giving multiple innings. Spencer Strider, uh, Joan Duran. Uh, these are all guys that have excellent stuff in that sort of 50 to 80 pitch uh, segment of the population. It's just really hard to figure it out. I mean, now Tyler Matzek is out and, and Spencer Strider um, is becoming more of a bullpen guy. If Tyler Matzek comes back, Spencer Strider might get go back to be having an opener and going four innings. Drew Rasmussen is pushing towards five innings, but he's still pretty solidly 80. Uh, Tyler Wells is actually a 75-pitch guy. He's not even an 80-pitch guy. Keegan Aiken is is more like a 40- to 50-pitch guy. All of these guys are amazing in points leagues, Um, and they're just really great in leagues where you can plug them in at reliever a lot of times and get extra points. You know, if you have a, if you're in a league where you have a start maximum, um, these are guys you'd love to have because then you can get a secret start out of them. Mm-hmm. So in auto new and head by head, you have a, you have a start maximum. Well, Hey, Keegan Aiken, let me throw him in my reliever slot and get an extra quote unquote start. Um, and so 
especially if he, he's following somebody like he is. So uh, th- those are all excellent that way. If the, the, the question was also, you know, why is he good in the model? That one's a, very easy to answer is just uh, he has really great ride, uh, you know, three, two to three inches better ride than, than average uh, on, the fa- on the four-seamer. The slider's pretty hard at 86. Uh, the curveball is a big old sweeper with seven inches more horizontal movement than the average curveball. And the changeup uh, is a big old sweeper in the other direction, where it has three inches more fade, uh, or or um, I don't know what people call that. Uh, what is it arm side movement uh, than the regular changeup? So it's you, you when I was t- describing it to you earlier, you said it's the it's the banana peel, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he's got the one in the middle, and then he's got the four seam above it, and then he's got these two things that split off the sides. And then for people saying like, where are the the the, the, the strikeouts? Well, most of the projection systems are projecting more strikeouts in the future. Stuff Plus says the, the strikeouts are coming. And then look at his minor league numbers. He very regularly had double-digit strikeout rates. He had good strikeout rates in the minor leagues. Um, I think this is a function of him just finding his way along with four pitches. These are the cur- When I talked to him a couple weeks ago, he said the curveball is new this year. It's a completely new pitch. He wanted to use it because he's starting. So, you know, he's he's got a kind of a new pitch mix, and he's getting outs you know, with them. So he's not maybe concerned about strikeouts, but uh, there's always these bread and butter pitches he can go back to and get strikeouts. So uh, I think uh, the strikeouts will come. And then just generally, and I and I wonder, like maybe you could describe to me like where, what kind of leagues would you be in where um, skills, not roles, something you hear about, you know, with different situations, but it's not true for every league. So skills, not roles, means draft people who are good and then they'll play and be in, in, in a good role. But if you're in a ten-team league, you can't draft skills, not roles, right? So what, what, what kind of leagues do you think these pitchers? You know, we talked about points leagues. What other kind of leagues do you think these pitchers are useful um, when they're not really giving you a lot of wins? Maybe they're not giving you saves, but they're giving you outs and they're pretty good. Mono leagues, mono leagues, and yeah. ultra deep mixers. I mean, we've talked about I think Devils Rejects and years ago the uh, Rotowire Dynasty Invitational. Those were twenty team leagues. Anybody who is doing anything useful becomes useful there. So yeah. even if it's not necessarily in a starter's role, the thinking is because you don't like just like I described in labor because you can't go to the wire and pick up someone who's going to start each and every week. You have to find guys ahead of the curve that this is why Corbin Martin is on that roster yeah I'm sitting there I'm like okay bad enough team from a who's in front of him standpoint model likes him I might just have the wrong guy my process in this case is probably right fishing for someone who's going to end up with surplus innings at better than expected ratios if it's not him that I have to turn that spot and find someone else who will so I think it's mostly mono leagues mostly deep mixers and dynasty leagues where where that stuff that stuff alone is good enough where the skills alone are good enough because the the role that just happens roles happen because of attrition in leagues like that the league you described the 10 team mix league you could end up with a role in a 10 team mix league after not having one but you're still compared to the freely available alternatives you're you're interesting but you're not clearly better so you waited yeah. and waited and waited, and oh, now you finally have someone with equal roles and comparable skills. Now let's see what happens. Let's see if you even have the right guy. Yeah, like in our ten-team league, like I'm just I'm just cycling through my last starting pitcher, right? Because it's like Tyler Molly this week or Tyler Malley. Sorry, it's it's weird. I'm, that's weird. Um, it's a weird A. I don't make that A. Uh, and then, uh, Jameson Tyon and then like, you know, whoever, whoever has like a matchup I like and is pitching well, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll throw them in there, um, because there's just so much available, but I, I will push it a little bit further. And here's one place that I've found pretty good use out of these types of pitchers. It is NFBC. Now in draft and hold, it's obvious. You mm-hmm. just want innings, right? That's just like, you're just like innings. I want innings. These guys, you're going to get your innings. But I have found a lot of use with these guys in regular 15-team and even 12-team NFBC formats because 
We are chasing two-star weeks every week, and you're spending FAB on trying to get two-star weeks every week. And you could have a guy that sometimes gives you two-star weeks on your own roster. Or there's one of those stupid Monday scratches or a Monday trip to the IL where it's after the, the FAB run. You're like, God, I wish I had one pitcher on my bench that I could just reach for, you know? And that's why I've kept Tyler Wells, Drew Rasmussen, um, I even have, uh, I think, a Keegan Aiken somewhere. I've kept those guys on my roster because it's like, hey, worst case scenario, I've got a guy, he's going to pitch, I'm going to throw him in there if something goes wrong on Monday or if, or if you know, let's say you bought a two-strike guy, a two-start guy, you weren't that excited about the second start, um, but you know, you're, or you weren't excited about the first start, whatever it is, you, you bought a two strike and then he, then they get pushed. This happens too all the time, right? Mm-hmm. The, the two star guys become one star guy because something happened, a rain out or something. And then you're just shouting. And then all of a sudden, maybe Tyler Wells is a better, is a better start that week because now you're just a, it's a one start versus a one start situation. So, um, I've definitely found use for all of these guys. Uh, Aiken and Autonew, uh, Wells, Rasmussen, in related news, I am not top half in strikeouts in all my leagues. That's a bit surprising. I I just I thought I had to really feel that because you know it is part of the give and take, right? If you're gonna have a guy, especially Tyler Wells, if he's gonna go four and strike out three, you're just like, oh boy. Well, the question with Wells specifically is the strikeout rate going to go up? Because the, with the stuff being as good as it is, the control being as good as it is, the swing strike rate's decent. The swing I strike really rate does point is. to a better K rate than what he's had so far. And if he goes four and strikes out five or six, now you're like, okay, that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Logan Webb could go seven and strike out six, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, uh, there's a give and take, but I, 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 and I don't think I'd want a full roster of these guys. And, as much as I love the last Drew Rasmussen start against the Tigers, great, great start. And I, I think he's been good. He lost a little bit of stuff because he lost a little bit of ride uh, fooling around with the cutter. Uh, but I still like him as a pitcher. Uh, I did move him down in my rankings update because I was like, well, you know, I have to, you, you do have to acknowledge the fewer innings. Yeah, you do. Um, it is it is part of the value proposition. So, um I don't think that Wells is a top 50 pitcher. I don't even know that Rasmus, I think Rasmus and, and Wells are very borderline sort of top 50 pitchers. They're they're They are matchup dependent. If you're in a 10 team league, they're more streamers than anything, I think. Um, but um, I also don't, I would push back on anybody who uh, would say that they're not useful. I like where Rasmussen locates his pitches. They're looking at the heat maps. Like there's a lot of consistency. The four seam are up in the zone or usually away to right-handed hitters. The slider, mostly down, mostly away, you know, below the zone, just getting guys to chase. The cutter away from righties, in, in, on left, okay. in tight on lefties. The, the occasional curveball he throws, seems like he's trying to spot those as a, as a chase pitch outside the zone too. I mean, it just, it seems like stuff and strategy and location are all in a good place with Rasmussen. The ceiling limitations maybe are always going to be there in terms of workload, but it's why we love Ray's pitchers so much. He's another good example of of why it just works so well. Yeah, and they're they're limiting his innings pitch not as I mean as much for maybe strategy as actually for injury. I mean this I think he's had two Tommy Johns, two yeah, two before so, uh, reaching the big leagues. So you know this guy's not one that uh, you expect to keep healthy. So hey. Why not get 75 pitches out of him instead of pushing him to 120 and getting injured? I mean, that's one thing that people, when they look back and they say, oh, all these guys used to throw 120. Well, I remember a lot of injured pitchers. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> like, and there was a lot of guys who didn't who didn't have more of a career because they, they, they were treated the way they were. There is something real about the fact that everyone's throwing closer to their maximum that is more injurious, more stressful on your arm. That is true. Uh, but we've got to figure out other ways to uh, toggle the incentives to change the game on that one. I, th- I do think maybe going down to 12 uh, pitchers on a roster, uh, on the major league roster, would uh, incentivize teams to get more bulk out of the pitchers they already had. In fact, it's math, right? If you have 13 pitchers for a certain amount of innings, you, 
<laughs> you can get X amount of innings per. If you get if you do it as twelve, it's X plus something. So it's not as important now, of course, to Jorge Lopez back. But there was another question that came in from Paul about Felix Bautista, and I've noticed him near the top of the the stuff list, pretty much all season yes. long. You watch him pitch, you're like that dude looks like he's going to close someday. Like it 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 passes the eye test too. He's he's like one of the I think he's the only pitcher in baseball that has a single digit number for ride, which is just like just just means that the the, the pitch is dropping like four inches. Like I think he threw a pitch this year that dropped three inches. That means like <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's it like basically coming on a line. I mean, it's just it, it is really hard for 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 hitters. And then have you seen him? Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's I was in the clubhouse. It's like, who's a linebacker? Yeah. I'm laughing because the the Savant page has him at 6'5", 190. It's uh, 190 in like seventh grade. If he's 6'5", 190, <laughs> I'm 5'8", 160. I'm Nick Magical if Felix Batista is only 190 pounds. So there's no chance. that That is a grown man out there. I was I was even looking for him and I was like, no, that's a catcher, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big human and uh it it looks really good. He fits a little bit more into a more traditional question of stuff versus role or skills versus role, where you're like, um, you know, will he close? And you know, I we'll have to do some validation on that. I don't know if it's gonna come with the rollout this year, but um I, I have I did do really well in buying closers that had the role that had high stuff plus versus closers that had the role that didn't. So, you know, I bought a lot of Joe Barlow and David Bednar and Jordan Romano. Uh, and, you know, those guys all had really high stuff lovers. I did not buy a lot, a lot of Mark Melanson. I did not buy a lot of uh, the other Barlow. Uh, you know, I did not buy a lot of the guys who lost their jobs. Um, and then I, I bought a fair amount of guys that didn't even have the role like Bednar and stuff that, that have, you know, they've been doing, I mean, not Bednar, um, Bender, uh, who've been doing pretty well. Maybe he loses his job, but, um, you know, I would, I would count that as a, as a, in fact, uh, it's kind of funny using stuff plus on that labor squad. I drafted Tyler Wells. This is last year's stuff plus I drafted Tyler Wells and Tanner Scott, with one dollar a piece for for labor, right? I did not expect what has happened. <laughs> no, I thought I was buying the Baltimore closer for one dollar, <laughs> who I ended up getting uh, in FAB for two dollars. So I did finally get the Baltimore closer. We <laughs> long long road to get there. <laughs> but Scott, I think you know people were talking about um, uh, about who who do they think is going to take the job uh, from uh, from Bender? Floro. Floro. And then there's another guy in that uh, that recently just pitched the ninth. I think Scott's in that mix, man. Uh, I'm trying to figure out exactly how to use uh, Stuff Plus. Uh, I do know that Stuff Plus beats projections before the season for relievers. So, and I do know that teams value Stuff Plus and use it. Uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised at all to find that. Uh, they made some closer decisions based on it. The, the problem is that the way teams attack bullpens these days, sometimes they'd be happy with taking a guy who has a really high stuff plus and putting him in the seventh inning. You know? Um, so I don't know about that. But um, here are some high stuff plus guys that are not closers, I guess. Uh, would that be useful for people? Give it a shot. Um, Steven Wilson. Uh, high pitching plus that you just need an injury because Taylor yeah. Rogers has clamped down on that role in the first six weeks of the season. It, it's his job. He's the guy. Clay Holmes has a higher pitching plus than a oldest Chapman. Yeah, that was so an under the radar seems- one today that came up. Ian was talking about Chapman just not looking like himself and Holmes being right well, there. I, I, I could see it. I could see the change if they're finally ready to say Chapman's not the closer anymore. I mean, Holmes versus the field versus, say, like Chad Green. I, I guess that's that's the question. Is it, is it clearly Holmes as the next best skills guy? Well, the model likes Green too, but you can tell from usage that Green is not necessarily getting the high impact, high leverage situations. So I would never tell anyone to not look at usage. 
that is uh, not what I'm doing here. Um, but um, I would like, uh, yeah, so uh, Clay Holmes, I think deserves, oh, the thing is Chapman never had good command, right? And so now his his uh, stuff has kind of fallen off. This is, I, I've seen, this is the first year the model says his four seam is below average by stuff plus. So, you know, he has been adding the splitter and he has been trying his best to mix it up more. And you can see that he's doing the old pitcher trick, uh, but it's an old pitcher trick. You know what I mean? He's definitely... Uh, he's definitely falling off a little bit. It's the K rate being down though too. Like usually in the past when you'd have the bloated walk rate from Chapman, you were getting 35, 40% K rate to go with it. You're getting 24.2%. You're getting Jorge Lopez's K rate and you're getting a, a walk rate that's worse than Jorge Lopez. You've basically worse skills than Jorge Lopez now coming from a role as Chapman. And maybe we've seen enough to the point where, look, the Yankees are are playing really well the first quarter of the season. If they keep rolling, one thing they're going to have to do is either fix Chapman, get him back to previous levels, or be willing to move on and not let him close out games. Like That has to be on the table now more than it's been probably at any point that he's been a member of that organization. Yeah. They keep signing him though, and you know what I mean. Like it, it, it doesn't. I don't know. They seem to have faith in him. Um, there's a, a Seattle situation, uh, which is the exact same situation as we said coming into the season, right? Um, Eric Swanson and Paul Seawald have really great uh, uh, pitching plus. Paul Seawald has better stuff plus, and then Andres Munoz uh, totally in the conversation with them. The problem is. They're all three in the conversation. <laughs> it's yep. like, yeah, like you know, take your pick uh, on that one. Um, Andrew Kittredge uh, still looks good in the model. He still has the best stuff plus uh, and pitching plus of any of the Rays uh, bullpen. Uh, however, uh, Brooks Raley is in a virtual tie with him, and I want to get to Jason Adam here. Where is Jason Adam? Jason Adam. Uh, has a 122 stuff plus, so uh, he actually has a slider, slightly higher stuff plus uh, than Kittredge, but, but worse command. I did pick up Adam in a couple places uh, where he was just wasn't owned because the Rays will do anything. Um, AJ Puck uh, grades out much better than Danny Jimenez in the model. Um, I don't know if they want to do that. They are definitely a cheap organization right now. We just wrote a whole piece about that with uh, Ken Rosenthal. The cheapest of the cheap. Uh, Griffin Jacks looks amazing in the model. He's a little bit like Whistler and maybe Ro uh, Romo in that he's throwing 50% sliders. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Jacks get some save opportunities. I think he's already had a couple like two, like two, three inning kind of uh, in a close game kind of situations where he's been used that way. Uh, so that's uh, that's definitely something. The Mariners bullpen looks amazing in the model. Drew Steckenrider's popping here uh, just right after talking about uh, Munoz. So I don't know. There's some names uh, there that might be useful to people. Uh, Luis Garcia, the reliever, looks good too. But I, you know, there's no reason to really doubt Rodgers right now in San Diego, I don't think. Mm -mm. No, I don't think so. Um, if you do listen to Under the Radar, as well as this show, of course, uh, you'll hear Will Vest's name on the latest Under the Radar. I think he's the guy that I'd be taking my chances on if oh, I'm trying to speculate in Detroit. not like him. 89 stuff plus for a reliever is just awful. That's what I'm looking at. I love that. Love an 89 stuff plus for a reliever. <laughs> but... Uh, but you know, uh, you know, the the there was an excellent stuff, an uh, excellent piece out by Mikey Ajeto, uh over at B Baseball Prospectus about the sort of intricacies of um, steam shifted wake, and uh, there is there is I think there are two things I would love to do with my model that I cannot do, and so those two things are missing. So if you are looking at a player and you just don't get it, here are the two things. A, we have access delta and spin efficiency in our model. Those are okay ways to to try and get seam shifted wake out. A better way is to model Magnus movement. So model movement, if Magnus was the only force on the ball, and then look at modeled movement versus, um, versus actual movement. And then you would actually have like a seam shifted wake number, right? You'd be like, this is 
This is the non-Magnus movement. This is this is what we're looking for. The problem is to do that, I have to have access to stats that I do not get. There's, like baseball teams have that. I do not get that. And then the other is stuff we talked about before, like Ian Anderson's uh, very unique arm slot where uh, I was looking at it with, um, was it Jackson, uh, who's a reliever on the um, A's? Is it Zach Jackson? He's very over the top. Um, yeah, Zach Jackson, very over the top. Model hates him. He gets pretty good strikeouts. Uh, the model says he has a 74 stuff plus. I could see the model missing something because he's one of those guys that kind of yanks his uh, his back over to like really be over the top. And I took a I took a video of him from behind a home plate. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants to see that, I can send it to him. But <laughs> anyway, those are two things I know are not in the model. So it's like I know the model's not perfect. I'm not here to say the model's perfect, but. Um, uh, if you do notice that, uh, a, a unique uh, arm angle, perhaps, uh, some sort of deception that is not captured by the model, and then um, uh, seems to wake is not perfectly captured by it. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at some video of Will Vest right now, and nothing, nothing about his delivery jumps out to me as unusual. Mm-hmm. So... It's either seam shifted wake or it's a uh, trap that I'm wandering into despite <laughs> warnings from my friend that it's a bad idea. Well, it's interesting that uh, there's so much red on a stat cast page, um, but uh, not on the fastball. So I will uh, point that out that it may be dragged down by a poor fastball number because he has a four seamer with below average ride. Um, but there's a lot uh, of red otherwise. Three pitches. That's the, the, that's the thing is, that makes a little different. For, or not unique, but rare for, for a reliever. That gives me a little more hope, despite the low <laughs> stuff number. Oh, I could just see this one ending in huge disappointment with uh, an absolute stain on, on the ratios. But uh, the good news is he's in the AL. He can't make the NL team any worse than it already a, is. He has a nice park. He has a nice park. That helps as well. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Uh, one more big question to get to. This one came in from Max. Uh, Max writes, I'm in a very shallow keeper league. I've got Brian Hayes at a good price, but I'm trying to figure out what he's going to be this year. Can he hit 20 homers? The obvious thing that's looking rough is his launch angle. However, when I watch him play, he seems to be hitting one or two hard, high-ish drives. When he hits it low, he hits it really low. So what's up with him? And more broadly, what's up with launch angle? You could hit two barrels at 25 degrees and then hit two worm burners at negative 30 degrees, and your overall launch angle won't look good, right? I think you've talked about this before, but maybe you could dive in again, particularly looking at Hayes. Is there a StatCast page I can look at to figure this out, like a launch angle distribution visualization or something else? Thanks, yeah, I Max. Was, I was looking for that old launch angle visualization that I saw on some place way back in the day where like you saw the guy batting and like it showed like the, all the angles off it. I couldn't find that. Hmm. But I did find this thing that's kind of cool, and I think um, maybe, Derek, you can put it up. Um, if you go to a player's page um, and then go to uh, StatCast breakdowns, um, and then you can, uh, you, what, you, what I've done here in the StatCast breakdowns is I've done a map of his launch angle, of Cabrian Hayes' launch angles, and I've colored it by exit velocity. So what you can see on this is that he does indeed group his, uh, his launch angles um, around zero. 
which is not ideal for power. However, uh, what you'll see is that he hits it pretty hard uh, from 0 to 10 um, and, and from 0 to 20. And uh, that uh, it, he's not like a really obscene uh, worm burner. And he does actually hit the ball hard. So now I wanted to put up um, Wander Franco. It's better um, because you can see that his launch angle distribution is higher uh, from 10 to 20. And he's got a red, um, he's got a red, uh, a hard hit area uh, between sort of 10 and 15. That's line drives. Uh, but it has some similarity in that his hardest hit balls are around zero. And in fact, if you look at every player, their hardest hit balls are usually around zero. And um, so that's part of the picture. Um, I wonder if you could just throw Pete Alonso on there, though. Now, you can see here that Pete Alonso's hardest hit balls are at zero, but he has a very high distribution of launch angles from 20 to 30. He hits a lot of balls from 20 to 30. Now, when you if you go back to the Cabrian Hayes's one, you know, it's obviously too skewed to the left. However, the exit velocity is great. He hits the ball really hard. I think he can be Franco. You know, I think he can be a lot like Wander Franco. He has to do a little bit of movement there and take advantage of how hard he hits the ball. And I think he can be Wander Franco. If you look at Wander Franco's max exit velo and barrel rate, they are almost identical to Cabrian Hazer this year. And that's this year. So I think he's a really good dynasty by low. Uh, I, I've been trying to do it in my 12 team. I think he's, I think he's still a really good, great player. I think he's, I, I honestly, I'm so in on, on Hayes that I think he's one of those guys we, we talked about with James Anderson when he was on that you would actually, I would actually pair two or three veterans to get Cabrian Hayes. Mm. In in a if I was rebuilding, you know what I mean? Yeah, because I think there. If I'm thinking about skills, not roles, hits the ball hard, makes a lot of contact, just needs to lift it a little bit, steals bases, and plays on the infield. Like I I, I love that package. And um, if he did hit the ball higher in higher launch angles and did hit for power right now, you wouldn't be able to buy him. <laughs> right he'd be impossible to get we've also uh we've got jazz chisholm's distribution and this here. is this is important because this is jazz chisholm in 2021 and in 2021 he had a identical or not identical but very similar barrel rate very similar max max exit velo to cabrian hayes this year so this is jazz chisholm this year this is jazz chisholm last year it looks kind of similar to uh to to Cabrian Hayes just missing Cabrian Hayes just missing some balls at 20 right otherwise kind of I would say very similar to the distribution that Cabrian Hayes has and uh does like is that not is that my crazy no it's pretty similar I think those are pretty similar so what if we were looking at Cabrian Hayes like what if jazz what the the, the step four the jazz chisholm took this year um in cutting the ground ball rate hitting more more for power cutting the strikeout rate that is all there in front of in front of Cabrian Hayes. That's that's how I see it. Like to to be in the same sort of to to have a similar distribution of launch angles and exit velocities to to Jazz Chisholm and Wander Franco. That's good. That's what you want. And, and even the surface stats are already starting to improve. Right, you're looking at a K rate that's better than it has been at any point during his time in the big leagues for Cabrian Hayes. You're looking at a career best walk rate. Not surprisingly, K rate is better. O swing percentage is also improved. The ground ball rate down from where it was last year, closer to where it was when he arrived in 2020, when he was showing a bit more power than expected. Uh, I think Brian Hayes is exactly the kind of player, even if it's just as simple as trading uh, like Charlie Morton or someone like I was talking about earlier. If yeah. I could pull a trade like that off just to get value and to possibly catch a player who's about to have that breakout, he's the kind of guy you want to get if you're chasing even in a redraft league right now. Because it yeah, might be it might be a three and a half month breakout for him. It might not be a full season, but it might be a really good final line, even though we're still looking for the first homer of 2022 from Cabrian Hayes. Let me see if I can uh, do this quick enough, but I've got, okay, I've got, 
I've got barrel rate leaderboard on Fangraphs. I'm going to go to the page that has Cabrian Hayes. Um, all right. Uh, with So he has 7.5% barrel rate. Spencer Torkelson has 7.8%, three homers. Justin Turner has a 7.8%, three, ter- three homers. Uh, Manny Machado has a 7.6% barrel rate, seven homers. Cabrian Hayes, 7.5, zero homers. Gio Urshela, 7.5, three homers. Paul Goldschmidt, 7.5%, five homers. John Segura, 7.4%, six homers. Jesus Aguilar, 7.4%, five. What? Like, you know which one was the outlier. <laughs> right. Cabrian Hayes is a 49.5% hard hit rate right now. He should have three homers right now. And if he had three homers right now, people probably wouldn't be asking about him because he would just look like uh, Paul Goldschmidt. He would look, yeah, he would look like he's on a, a 15-15 pace with a great average and a great OBP. Yeah, and I still, I still think he can, he can pull that this year, and then next year, I, I think there's, I think there's more. So to answer Max's question, yeah, he could hit 20 homers. He might not be able to get there this year because this of the year, slow start, but he'll be yeah. on maybe on that pace for the rest of this season, and it wouldn't be all that surprising. So thank you for that email, Max. Uh, we had several questions about Jose Quintana. What year is this? What is going on? <laughs> oh yeah, I I, I I had to look at uh, Cueto's too. Yeah. Jose Quintana, seventy four stuff plus one hundred two location ninety three, and then Cueto, uh, seventy six stuff plus one ten location uh, one hundred one. He also controls the running game pretty well and has massive deception. If I was going to bet on the two of them, I would not. I I would not uh, go in hard on either of them. But if I was going to pick one, I would pick Cueto in certain matchups. Um, and then maybe Quintana against like the Cubs at home, or uh, you know, like I hate to pick on any one team, but like, Red know? Reds at home, maybe, yeah. maybe even the Reds in Cincinnati. Maybe no, 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 no. I'm not throwing Quintana in Cincinnati. Deeper leagues. Mm. That's a bad stuff number, like wildly both bad. Of them. Yeah, both of them. I mean, when you're in the 70s, let me see. Let me do a quick sort here. Maybe I Other... should embrace this, though, given the uh, the Will Vest situation. <laughs> All right. I, I, I sorted stuff plus from the bottom. Um, Dakota Hudson, you will always. Uh, Ty Block is, is, is worst with 58. <laughs> I've never, I don't think I've seen that. Um, Martin Perez near the bottom, um, Alexis Diaz, who we've talked about. And I, this is what I wanted to say. People have been asking me about Alexis Diaz. Alexis Diaz has such a unique combination of stats around his fastball that when you have a model that does not have comps, basically it struggles, right? So basically Alexis Diaz has Edwin Diaz's fastball minus 10 inches of horizontal movement the big difference the only other fastball that's anything like it is matt festa now you're like okay that gives you a comp no because matt festa started this year i think i think this is rookie year so there's like there's no real comps for it so the model's just kind of looking around being like i don't know you know <laughs> it's the it's the shrug emoji that's the other way that you that you can get in trouble with this model so i wouldn't say that lexus diaz is as bad as his stuff plus the model shrugs and goes to the refrigerator to get a beer. Yeah, but like guys, guys like Quintana exists. Quintana himself existed, right? Uh, Zach Jackson, uh, Patrick Corbin. Oh, Dane Dunning is down here. Dylan Peters, uh, who um, we've already we've already been mean to Dylan Peters. And this is uh, mostly a group of guys that we are just waiting for the correction, though. I, I don't know if there's anyone on that list that you're naming that you'd say. No, no, this guy's different, and I know why. Like, there's Alexis Diaz. Yeah, but I mean, the yeah. start, the starting pitchers, and then maybe Hudson. Hudson, I don't. I mm, maybe Hudson has some seam shifted wake we're not capturing. I don't know. It's uh, he has like a career ERA of like three two, right? Yeah, he's got a, a three thirteen career ERA with a one thirty two uh, whip. I don't. I don't think he's good, but I would say that between gritted teeth. <laughs> I could be wrong. Chris Bubich, uh, Tyler Gilbert, Kyle Freeland, Jake Odorizzi. Although Jake Odorizzi had good command so and lots of pitches. So there is there is that kind of pitcher that can be good every once in a while. Um, Austin Gomer's down here. 
Humberto Castellanos. These are the gettable pitchers. If you're in a deep league and you're just playing a volume game, like I also don't want. They're so easy to get. Yeah, Ian Anderson is once again down here. Uh, that might be one where the model's missing him. Hmm. I mean, he's not doing well, but Ian Anderson's location numbers are down too, and uh, so you know. But if you're looking at like Zach Zach Loesch, uh, there's a really weird arm angle there. Zach, Zach Loesch is like kind of a side armor with doing some weird stuff. It's possible we're missing something, but yeah, most of those pitchers I don't want. Yeah, I don't want them either. Just don't let me talk myself <laughs> into trading them because I could set some records the wrong way in NL labor this year if I get too desperate and try you something. Could try that at least if you get in the record book somehow. <laughs> No, not that one. Not no, that one. Not that way. <laughs> not that way. Uh, I'll, I'll find my way into enough bad record books over time. I don't need to. <laughs> don't need to speed up the process by tanking it right now. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. If you got questions for a future episode? Drop us an email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com, or ask in the comments section under this video on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and hit the like button on this video if you are watching us over there on Twitter. Eno is at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. And good news, we have a second episode this week. It will be coming out on Friday. Plus, we got a 3 0 show coming out. That'll come out Friday morning this week. We had a little uh, schedule switcheroo. And then Eno's got something going on with some some hands. Jazz get, hands. Get some jazz hands going. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You're just excited. Yeah. Yeah. So good to be back. Thanks to everyone for listening. We're back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.